who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Realm presents Book Burners, Episode 6. We should get out of here, Grace said. Out of this room or off the boat? Sal wasn't really expecting an answer, but Grace supplied one. The room, now, the boat, eventually. What about that? Menchu indicated the expanding puddle of black goo. Liam knelt by the body, poking at it with a silver-plated pen he'd found somewhere. It's an exothermic reaction. That's where all the steam is coming from. But it doesn't look corrosive. What the owner is going to do about the carpet is another problem entirely. Behind Sal, the door opened. Hey, Skip, are you in here? The voice and its pleasant Australian accent cut off abruptly. A young woman wearing a uniform polo shirt stood in the doorway. Sal supposed she should have expected her to show up sooner or later. The woman, however, was clearly not expecting to see a group of strangers in the lounge. Then she spotted the remains of the first mate and let out a terrified, wordless scream. Even as Sal helped maneuver the woman back out of the room, she felt just a little bit jealous. She could have used a good scream, too. The door to the lounge had barely slammed shut behind them before Grace was bracing the woman, who couldn't have been older than 25, against a wall. What did you do with the book? The book? The one you bought last night, Father Menchu clarified, from the little shop in Rome. I. What? She looked helplessly to Captain Childress for guidance. It's okay, Katie, he said. Just tell them. What happened to Paul? The book, Grace said. I put it in Mr. Norse's safe. Take us there, now. 
Skiff said it was okay, so Katie led the strangers through the owner's suite and into the closet where his personal safe was secured. She hoped like hell the book was still where she had left it. She hated to think what these people would do if they thought she had lied to them. They wouldn't even let her open the safe herself, just demanded a combination, and Katie decided not to argue. Not after what they'd done to Paul. While the strangers were distracted with the safe, Captain Childress stepped up behind her, speaking low in her ear. Whatever they want, Katie, just give it to them. Keep them busy. If I see a chance, I'm going for the radio. Katie nodded and wondered if his first call would be to the police or to Mr. Norse. Katie had heard the rumors about the fair weather before she signed on, but the promotion to Chief Stew and Purser was too good to pass up. So what if the owner was interested in rare books? She'd met plenty of rich people with much stranger hobbies. And the weirder rumors, the whispers of strange and evil things, were too wild to be credible. Besides, the crew had seemed nice. The lack of charters meant lower tips, but also lower aggravation. And ultimately, in the 16 months she'd been aboard, she hadn't regretted her decision once. Until she picked up that damn book. The big guy with the tattoos finally finished checking the safe for whatever he was checking it for. Was he smudging the room with sage? Anyway, he finally got the safe open, and then the one dressed like a priest used what looked like an old pillowcase to pick up the book. He frowned and looked at her. Did you open it? He asked. Katie shook her head. It's okay if you did, he pressed. We just need to know. I didn't, Katie said. It was creepy. If it was so creepy, why did you argue with the bookseller when he didn't want to sell it? Asked the blonde woman who hadn't slammed Katie up against a wall. Because Mr. Norse had arranged to buy it. Do you know why he wanted it? No. You didn't ask? I'm the head steward. If the owner wants something, I get it for him. I don't ask why he wants it. And even if he had told me, I wouldn't tell you. So he did tell you, said the Asian woman who had slammed her up against the wall. Katie gave her a withering glare, but did not answer. Guy's bigger problem here, said the big tattooed guy. If she didn't open it, what happened to the first mate? I'm gonna guess that he didn't generally go around trying to stab people, not to mention the whole Milton and the black goo routine. Maybe he opened it, or touched it, or was susceptible for some reason. I don't think that's really our number one problem right now, said the blonde. We have a bigger problem than a dead first mate turning to goo on the carpet. Yes, the woman said. Normally, once we've bagged the book, it's problem solved, right? In general. Then why is the view out the window still blurred? Katie turned. The closet was too small to accommodate more than one person at a time, so most of the group was gathered in Mr. Norse's stateroom, which had a set of glass doors that led out onto a private balcony. The view looked fine. Katie was about to let it go when she remembered the captain's request for a distraction. Well, she'd see what she could do. Blood, are you all high or something? Ignore her, said the Asian woman. No, I won't. Katie pointed emphatically at the blonde. She said the view was blurry, and it's clearly not. I've been cooperating, but if you're just a bunch of junkies. She could see them exchanging looks as she continued to rant. Well, that was fine. As long as they weren't looking at Skip, they could roll their eyes about her all they wanted. Katie yelped and jumped as she felt something cold at the back of her neck, a chain. The blonde had dropped a half-tarnished silver crucifix over her head. They are all high, she thought, even the priest. Then she looked outside again, and for some reason, she couldn't make her eyes focus. She had time to think, what have they done to me, and is Skip seeing this? 
Then her stomach flipped and she fainted. Generally, Father Manchu said to Sal, not upset, but still chiding, we try to be a little more gentle when introducing civilians to the reality of the non-mundane. Sal winced as she heard another round of retching from the bathroom. Sorry. Then she went back to her original question. But if we've bagged the book, why is everything outside still blurrovision? Could be something else on the boat, Manchu suggested. If this Mr. Norse is a collector, he could have all kinds of artifacts aboard. Great, said Grace. Liam, still examining the book through the shroud, shook his head. Or the more likely explanation, the binding has been damaged. Binding like a spell? asked Sal. Manchu shot her a look. What do you know about binding spells? My brother played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons when we were kids. Still does. Did. Damn it. Actually, said Liam, I meant literally the binding. He pointed to where the back cover had separated from the spine along two-thirds of its length, barely connected to the rest of the book at all. Even when the book isn't open, it's still enclosed. I really wish that didn't almost make sense, said Sal. Grace swore. You mean that thing has been leaking? The shroud should still contain it, said Manchu, thoughtful. That's great for keeping it from getting worse, said Liam. But it doesn't look like it's helping it get any better. Grace frowned. Wasn't there a case in China like this? Back in the 20s, Manchu asked. No, later, Grace said. I read about it. A book got damaged, then started using something that spread like a contagion. What happened? Liam asked. It became the Asian flu pandemic of 1957. Estimated worldwide death toll between one and four million before a team finally found the book. How did they stop it? Buried the book, the monastery where it was housed, and everyone inside it under a landslide. In the pause that followed, the door to the small bathroom opened, revealing a very wan ship steward who had finally managed to regain her feet. Grace frowned. Wasn't the captain in there with you? Katie shook her head. Then where the hell is he? Tildress had to hand it to Katie. That feigning spell had been a stroke of genius. If they lived through this, he was going to make sure she got a raise. Once he had slipped away, his first stop had been the bridge and the ship's radio, but someone had sabotaged every comm system on the ship. No internet, no sat phone, nothing. He wasted more time than he should have checking over the ship's systems, trying to find out what had been done to them. But when he noticed his old magnetic compass spinning crazily on its bearings, he gave up hope that this was something he could remedy with a quick fix. If he was going to get help, he needed to get off the boat. He felt a twinge of regret, leaving Katie behind, but his best chance to help her was to get the owner on the horn. It wasn't like they were in the middle of the Atlantic. The marina office was just at the end of the dock. She'll be fine, he told himself, and made for the aft deck. Thanks to her longer stride, Sal was able to catch Grace, even with the other woman's head start. Do we have a plan? Find the captain, keep him on the boat. That's an objective, not a plan. That's a big word for a dumb cop. Hey, said Sal, I read too, you know. At that, Grace cracked a smile. It only lasted a fraction of a second, but Sal was sure it had been there. And then, just as quickly, it was gone. We're probably too late anyway. Unless the captain's an idiot, he'll have gotten as far from this boat as possible. And he's not an idiot. No, Grace scowled as though this were a personal insult. They were coming up on the doors to the aft deck now. Frosted glass, 
Sal's stomach clenched. If the captain was out there, the glass meant he'd be able to see the movement of their approach against the static background of the hallway. But they were effectively blind. Grace must have had a similar thought. She paused and indicated for Sal to fall in behind her. I'll take the door. If one of us is going to get shot, better it isn't you. And before Sal could open her mouth to ask what the hell that was supposed to mean, Grace popped the door and barreled through onto the deck. Sal, never one to leave her partner without backup, charged right through behind her. The captain wasn't waiting for them in ambush. But he was waiting for them, hanging in midair, stuck like a gnat on a drying snot bubble to the blurry field surrounding the yacht. They were all on the deck now, staring up at the captain. Against Sal's better judgment, all included Katie. She had expected another bout of vomiting and unconsciousness when the woman saw what had happened to her boss, but all she did was quietly breathe, oh, escape, and fall silent. The sun was setting, sky glowing pink behind the trapped man. But the sight of Katie seemed to rouse him back to coherence. Sorry, Katie. What? I was going to leave you here. You would have sent help. You take care of us. Whether it was the sun or some effect of the field he was trapped in, the captain's lips were dry and they split when he tried to smile at her. Not well enough. A draft of blood oozed up from his lip and fell to the deck below. Sal stepped forward to draw Katie back from him and froze. The drop on the ground wasn't red. It was black. Sal half expected the deck to begin smoking. It seemed only appropriate if people were going to suddenly start bleeding black ooze. But just like when the first officer had killed himself, the drop didn't seem to be reacting with the wooden surface. Except, Sal blinked. It was just one drop of blood, but it was, it's spreading. Grace stopped in the middle of whatever she had been saying to Liam and turned to Sal. It's what? Spreading. In a few seconds, the single drop had grown in size from the diameter of a dime to a half dollar, and Sal was running out of currency large enough for comparison. Was it doing that when the first mate? Liam asked. I assumed he was just bleeding out. Shit. A quick check confirmed that what had once been the floor of the boat's forward lounge was now a lake of black ooze. At least it didn't seem to be throwing off heat anymore, now that the body was completely gone. Although, as silver linings went, that was a pretty thin one. What's below this? Father Manchu asked. Crew quarters, then the hull. Father Manchu took this in with more calm than Sal was currently feeling, what with being trapped on a boat slowly filling with demonic black ooze. But she supposed part of his job was to keep a calm face on things. Either that, or he had a good plan for getting them out of this mess. She really hoped it was the latter. Manchu let Katie lead the way to the deck below, but stopped her from entering the room directly below the lounge. Carefully, he opened the door. What had once been a crew cabin was now filled with oily tendrils dripping down from the ceiling vents like tar from a sieve. Was anyone in there? He asked. Katie shook her head. Where's the rest of the crew? For the trip to Miami, we just have two more. But they aren't aboard. Sarah went into the city to meet one of her chef friends and get some fresh groceries while we were in port. Luke was picking up supplies. When are you expecting them back? Sarah will come back sometime this evening, late. She made it clear we were on our own for dinner. 
Luke will be back later than that, probably, or tomorrow morning if he meets someone. Father Manchu let out a long breath. Were they on the boat last night? Katie nodded. Sure. Like I say, we live here. Are they going to... What happened to Paul and Skip? Is it... Is it going to happen to them? To me? No. The silver in the cross is protecting you. You'll be fine. There was a long pause. Are you just telling me that so I won't freak out and try to run? Grace shrugged. You're welcome to run if you want. But if you do, you'll just end up stuck beside the captain. Katie blanched. Since looking at the goo didn't seem to be doing them any good, Father Manchu led a general retreat to the aft deck, where they could at least warn off anyone trying to board the boat. Liam found, to his disgust, that his laptop was just as out of commission as the team's phones and the ship's radio, and, grumbling, broke out paper, a mechanical stopwatch, and a slide rule. After timing the spread of the goo under the captain, he worked out that they had about an hour before it got deep enough to swamp the boat. And once it hits the water, we'll all be in it, literally and figuratively. Unless the field around the boat keeps it contained, Sal pointed out. You want to bet the Mediterranean on that? asked Liam. Okay, so we have somewhat less than an hour to figure out what's going on and stop it. Sal looked over to where Katie stood by the captain, holding up a glass of water with a straw so that he could drink. She didn't seem to be listening, but Sal lowered her voice anyway. Was I lying to her earlier? Is she gonna be okay? Unless Team One gets wind of what's going on and decides to solve this little problem with a tactical nuke. They have tactical nukes? No. Well, that's a relief. They do have a whole lot of napalm, though. Father Manchu gestured for their attention. This is all academic. Phones are out and we can't leave this ship. We couldn't call for Team One even if they were the only option we had left. He leveled his stare at his team, and Sal felt her spine stiffen reflexively. But we still have a little time, and I have faith that this group will come up with a better solution. Sal hoped like hell he was right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every Factor meal is fresh, never frozen, and is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, it's less expensive than takeout, which honestly was my go-to when I just couldn't or didn't have time to cook a proper meal. So whether you're hoping to cut down on spending, being more intentional with your meals, or just want to save time, Factor can help you get after your goals. Besides their meals, which I have to say, everyone has been delicious, they also have more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled and feeling good all day, like breakfast and midday bites. They've even got fresh pressed juices and protein shakes, and I've really enjoyed their variety pack of wellness shots. I love anything with ginger and cayenne. Factor is also flexible with their plans, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Head to factormeals.com burners50 and use code burners50 to get 50% off. That's code burners50 at factormeals.com burners50 to get 50% off. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. 
And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Four. Forty minutes later, Father Manchu's faith in the team's problem-solving abilities wasn't looking especially well-placed. As far as I can tell, Liam explained as he ran a hand through his short red burr in exasperation. What we've got is every part of a demon infestation except the actual demon. Hallucination, psychosis, evil goo, the works. What we don't have is a demon at the center of it all. How do we get rid of all of that normally? asked Sal. It goes away when we banish the demon or close the book. So why can't we close the book now? It's already closed, just leaking. But what if we opened it, then closed it again? That could act like a kind of reset button, right? Liam looked at Sal like she was the product of a demon-induced hallucination. Are you implying that this situation would be held by adding an actual demon to it? No, but remember Madrid? We didn't have to shove all the weird crap going on in that apartment back through the book. As soon as we took care of the center of the infestation, the whole accessory pack got sucked back in with it. The problem here is that we've got all of the extras, but no main guy to tell them it's time to go home. If we open the book, it gives the goo something to attach to. Then we close it again, banish the demon to the other side, and the goo goes away along with it. As long as we get it into the shroud immediately, it all stays contained, right? Doing what with a what now? More important, Sal forged ahead. If we open the book, it might trigger the orb, and then Asante will know that we need backup. Napalm kind of backup? I'm not saying I want to die a fiery death, but it's probably better than millions dead of the demonic flu. Liam opened his mouth to object, then closed it again. Sal guessed it was the best she was going to get. Great, I'm going to do it. She turned on her heel and took off. That spurred Liam into action. Wait, you can't just... 
not talking about it, just doing it. But Father Manchu will be able to honestly say he had no idea what I was planning if this all goes horribly wrong. Behind her, Sal could barely hear a muttered, if this goes horribly wrong, we're all gonna be dead. Unfortunately for Sal's grand plans, Liam also had long legs and so was only seconds behind her when she arrived on the aft deck. The instant he had Father Manchu in sight, he started yelling about Sal's harebrained scheme. And since her scheme didn't actually take that long to explain, Father Manchu was fully briefed by the time Sal reached book-snatching distance. Manchu gave Sal a look. Is that what you were planning? Well, unleash bloody demon hell wasn't actually part of the plan, but I suppose Liam's right that it's a possibility. Manchu took this in, then nodded. All right. All right, said Liam. It makes sense. I don't have another suggestion, and we're rapidly running out of boat. Gray shrugged, as though unconcerned about the prospect of being consumed by evil demon goo. Liam was not mollified. You can't be serious. I'll send an update is the best possible end this plan could have. Father Manchu put his hand on the taller man's shoulder. Is the bridge still accessible? Last I checked. Then let's see if we can move out of port, just in case. Katie cut the final line securing the ship to the dock. As the last member of the crew aboard who was still standing, she felt like it was her place. She and the priest had finally gotten skipped down to the deck, and she'd managed to give him a little more water, but he had lost consciousness a few minutes later. Katie felt the engine sputter beneath her feet. They were limping, but it was enough. She looked over at the blonde woman who stood nearby. The silence felt heavy between them. Katie had worked for foreign princes, venture capitalists, and movie stars. She had never before been at a loss for something to say. When she'd taken her first training course, her instructor had said that if they were ever at a loss for how to deal with a guest, they should ask if they could help. Most people were hard-pressed to take offense at someone who was trying to assist them. She'd quipped, if you get taken over by Somali pirates, just ask if they need something. You're not the captain. You don't have to be a hero. You just have to survive. Katie felt a puff of laughter escape her lips. What is it? The woman asked. Just something I learned in training. You trained for this? Katie shrugged. I work for billionaires. They taught us to be prepared for anything. She looked over the deck, one half of which was now covered in a thick lake of goo. Never covered anything like this, though. The other woman nodded. Katie wanted to ask again if they were gonna be okay, but held her tongue. She didn't want to sound like she didn't trust these strangers, even though she didn't, quite. You're going to get through this, the woman said, as if she sensed her doubts. I know this is scary, but these people are very good at their jobs. Did you train for this? I trained to be a cop. That means that anything that tries to take you down has to go through me first. Zell told herself there was nothing to worry about. The plan was simple, just like she'd outlined it to Liam. Open the book, trigger the orb, release a demon onto a yacht that was quickly being covered in evil goo, close the book, get it back into the shroud, and all of their problems would be solved. Sal carefully set the book on the floor and unwrapped it using a pair of silver serving tongs Katie had produced from the boat's kitchen supplies. Not as good as a 300-year-old crucifix, maybe, but better than trying to use her bare hands. Father Manchu had underlined that quite strongly.
She'd gotten lucky in Perry's storage unit. She couldn't count on escaping direct contact with a demon unscathed again. Sal was in the owner's cabin, which was, for the moment, relatively goo-free. The boat's silverware, solid silver, not plate, some people really did have more money than sense, was laid out in a circle around her, and a circle of salt poured inside it just for good measure. Katie had brought a box of it from the galley when she'd gone for the silver, and no one had the heart to tell her that salt wasn't actually a thing for keeping out demons. And what the hell, it couldn't hurt, right? Sal could barely see out the cabin windows, just enough to tell they were in open water. She gripped the fresh silver cross Liam had given her. Her previous one had gone to Katie, and besides, it was already half covered in tarnish. Sal hadn't even noticed when that happened. How quickly had the supernatural become normal that she didn't even notice the effects the silver was protecting her from? She appreciated that Liam, in spite of his doubts, was giving her stupid plan the best chance of success that he could. Of course, it wasn't like they had any better options. Drive it or park it? That was Grace, standing behind her with a long-handled broom, ready to knock her away from the book and move in herself if Sal failed. And if Grace failed too? Or if the demon didn't clean up his mess after him? In that case, Sal put that thought firmly out of her mind. If this didn't work, whatever happened next would almost certainly be someone else's problem. Sal placed the book on the floor and leaned in to flip open the cover. The plan was sound. Everything would be fine. It wouldn't come to what she'd described to Katie. And if it did... That's why Katie was with Father Manchu and Liam in a salted silver circle of their own on the foredeck, as far from the goo as they could get. If Katie didn't live through this, she would at least be the last one to go down. Sal wrapped the cross's silver chain around her hand. This was what she had signed up for, first with the NYPD and again with the Black Archives. No matter how weird things got, that hadn't changed. Sal opened the book. There was a rush of light. Sal had always thought demons lived in the dark, but it was light, everywhere. And a smell of salt and kelp and the tug of a current against her hands, as though she could feel the rip in the world that the damaged book had created, and all the things that were rushing through it, in both directions. The pull wanted her. To fill the hole or to feed the stream, Sal wasn't sure. There was just the current and the burn in her hand where she held the cross hot against her skin. Too hot to hold, must hold, must. She was gasping for air, she was. Sal was on the floor, looking up at Grace, who had dropped the broom and was shoving the shroud-wrapped book into a bag filled with assorted silverware, just for good measure. Did it work? Sal asked. If by work, you mean did a giant river of goo nearly suck you back into the book along with it, then yes, it worked. Am I okay? Grace squinted at her. You're an idiot, but a living idiot. Sal decided that was good enough and went back to being unconscious. Five. Sal discovered that a side benefit of her stupid plan was that the powers that be let her go straight home instead of debriefing at the Vatican with the rest of the team. Once the Monsignor was satisfied, Sal wasn't actually possessed, of course. But determining that was a process Sal remembered only dimly. And since it involved more chanting and incense than needle sticks and intimate scrubbing, she decided it was far more pleasant than doing decon after an anthrax scare. 
When enough of her mind came back, she managed to rouse herself enough to ask Father Manchu a question. The captain? Didn't make it. Katie? Is she okay? She's fine. She's with the rest of the Fairweather's crew at a hotel. So I thought Father Manchu said something else, something encouraging, before leaving her apartment and closing the door behind him. But she might have already been asleep and imagined it. The pleasant haze of sleep was shattered by a phone call. Sal groped for her cell, finally locating it in the pocket of her crumpled pants, and brought it to her ear. You need to go back to Ostia, now. Instantly awake to the tone of the words, if not their meaning, Sal sat up. Her feet hit the cold tile floor, sending a shock of adrenaline through her system. Then her mind caught up with the rest of her. What? Who is this? It's Aaron. The tour guide? How did you get this number? Just come back to the marina, now. Sal was about to hang up. She knew she should call Father Manchu. She certainly should not be following the instructions of a strange man who had called her in the middle of the night on a phone he never should have been able to reach. And then she heard the faint sound of sirens on the other end of the call. I'll be right there. The cab had to drop her nearly five blocks away from the water due to the firemen and emergency vehicles thwarting even her Roman taxi driver from getting closer. Once she was on foot, Sal used a combination of body language and judicious flashes of her badge to force her way through the cordon to the gatehouse at the edge of the marina. A security guard was shouting at the top of his lungs in Italian, his meaning plain even to a monoglot like Sal. At the end of the dock, orange and green flames leapt up over the heads of the gathered firefighters, reaching up to paint the sky. The fair weather was burning like a Viking funeral. Twenty feet away, Aaron stood in the shadows. Very calmly, Sal walked over to him and grabbed him by the shoulders. Who did this? Was this you? He shook his head. No, this was you. Sal let go of him, pulling her hands back in shock. What? No, I didn't, we didn't. Understanding dawned. This was to cover up the death of the captain. In part. What's the other part? Sal asked, already dreading his answer. To eliminate any possible vectors of contagion. You and your team, they can watch over. But the society can't give a job to everyone contaminated by the touch of magic. Sal felt the pit of her stomach drop out. Katie. Katie hadn't told the others much, just that the fair weather had been secured as a crime scene following the disappearance of its captain and first mate. She and Sarah had gone to the hotel bar to mourn, speculate, and drink, until the hour and the vodka had finally borne the other woman off to bed. Katie stayed at the bar, telling herself that she was waiting for Luke, making sure that he got in all right, even though she knew he was almost certainly finding comfort in the arms of a handsome young Italian man and would not return until morning. Eventually, Katie returned to her room, where she found she was not drunk enough to banish the scenes that played across her mind whenever she closed her eyes. She called room service, ordered another drink. The priest had said the bill would be covered. He told her not to worry. Easy for him to say. He had also said that something from the book had infected Paul and Skip, the same book she had carried from Rome to Ostia. She remembered how the tar-like wave had surged at the end, rising up as though to swamp the boat before suddenly receding into Mr. Norse's cabin, like blood washing down a drain. 
She fingered the cross that still hung around her neck. Was she infected too? If she nicked herself in the shower, would her body collapse like Paul's? Would her black blood fill the pipes, spill out into the streets, until the world was covered in a black tide? A knock. Room service. Just as her hand reached the knob, the door burst in, followed by a man in black who reeked of smoke. He pressed a cloth against her face. Katie inhaled a scream, and the smoke smell was replaced by something sweet and rotten. Everything went black. Sal called Liam, then Menchu, who told them where the crew had been put up for the night. The three of them arrived at the hotel just as the coroners were bringing out a draped body on a stretcher. Menchu approached them and spoke quietly. Of course, if Padre would like to say a prayer over the body, the attendants would be happy to wait a moment. The signorina was in no hurry. When Menchu lifted the sheet, Katie's lips were pale blue against her skin and the white cotton. They didn't give her one to the head, Sal murmured to Liam. They wouldn't have wanted her to bleed. Sal felt sick. Asante was livid. The team was gathered near her desk, where she was loudly arguing with the Monsignor in charge of their little division of the Black Archives. There was no sign that young woman was infected. There was no sign she wasn't, and she had more contact with the book than anyone. Our superiors decided they couldn't take the risk. Your job is to talk them out of stupid ideas, to remind them that burning the innocent and guilty together and letting God sort it out went out of fashion with the Inquisition. The Monsignor took a long breath. When he continued, his voice was very low and very calm. It made the hairs on the back of Sal's neck stand up. You don't know how close they were to ordering the death of everyone who set foot on that boat. You still have a team. You're welcome. He turned to leave. Asante called after him. What about the bookshop? Did Team One take that down too? The Monsignor paused. Of course not, he said. We didn't know the book had been damaged then. There was no need to purify the bookshop until later. Sal sat by Perry's bedside. I promise, she told him silently. I will get you out of here. I will keep you safe, somehow. A footstep behind her. Liam. Hey. Hey. It's okay, you know. They're not gonna hurt Perry. How can you be sure? He was possessed, contaminated. How do I know that someday some cardinal won't? Because I'm still alive. Sal had forgotten that Liam had once been possessed himself. Every case is different, and whatever went south on this one, he was nowhere near it. Sal nodded, but didn't move. And then Liam's hand was on her elbow, gently guiding her to her feet. Come on, he said. I'll walk you home. They walked through the old gallery of the late Crusades on their way out. Sal caught a whiff of acrid smoke, the kind that came from burning treated lumber lingering in the air as they passed. Once out of the Vatican complex and onto the streets of Rome, Sal took her arm back. Liam was content to walk side by side. Every time I think I have this job figured out, what's going on, what's expected of me, something like this comes and slaps me in the face. I mean, I knew the work was dangerous. I'm okay with dangerous. 
I'm not okay with my superiors not having my back. We have your back. The team does, but Manchu and Asante don't have the codes to the nukes. I told you there aren't any nukes. She didn't laugh. They walked in silence. The worst thing is, I catch myself wondering if they were right. One life for four million is pretty easy math, and if we have a demonic possession detector, no one's told me about it. What if she wasn't clean? What if we aren't clean? Liam sighed. I worry about that every day. All we can do is the best we can. It doesn't seem like enough. On the bad days, I worry about that too. Sal searched Liam's face. This was a bad day, right? Tell me this isn't fair to average. I need this day to be one of the bad ones. It was pretty bad, Liam said. Could have been worse, though. They were almost at her building. Sal noticed that her hand had fallen back against Liam's arm without her noticing. He didn't seem to mind. Well, what of it? Wanting companionship after a close call with death was a psychologically proven phenomenon. Or at least a baby boom nine months after 9-11 proven phenomenon. Then she remembered something else Liam had told her. She hastily took her hand back. Liam looked at her, confused. Something wrong. Aren't you a monk? Liam shook his head. No, I just live with monks. Her eyes narrowed. You're not just saying that to get into my pants? Liam blinked. Is that? I hadn't thought you wanted. He pulled himself together. I swear to you, I am not a monk. Sal took a moment to think about that. So, no vows? A slow grin spread across Liam's face. Not that kind. Sal couldn't help her own smile in return. When his lips met hers, they were just as hungry. She kissed him as she fumbled for her keys to the building. He kissed her back as they went inside, and they kissed each other as they stumbled up the stairs and into her apartment. Finally, she forced a break. Wait, what is it? Sal felt her face heating. She couldn't believe she was about to say this. Do men who live with monks carry condoms? Liam threw his head back and laughed until Sal had no choice but to force him to shut up with more kissing. The answer, as it turned out, was yes. It took some doing, but after a week of walking the streets and asking questions in her rapidly improving Italian, Sal found Aaron the tour guide. She was almost sorry when she did. The search had been a comfortingly familiar activity. But in the end, she didn't need comfort. She needed answers. Aaron didn't seem surprised to see Sal walking up to the terrace of the small sidewalk cafe where he was installed with a newspaper and an espresso. He rose as she neared and gestured for her to sit down. Almost as soon as she did, a waiter was at her elbow, depositing an espresso and two small paper tubes of sugar. Sal wondered if Aaron had been expecting her, if she had only found him because he allowed her to. Sal was waiting for the waiter to get safely out of earshot before speaking, but Aaron beat her to it. No backup? Sal shook her head. Why not? Because you helped me. And you seem like a nice guy who doesn't deserve to be set on fire. Then again, you also tracked down my phone number, which I never gave you. You seem to know who I work for, which is more than I've told my own family. And frankly, you have been entirely too convenient throughout this entire goddamn mess. My turn. Haven't I helped you enough? Sal ignored this. Who are you with? Interpol, one of the local agencies? 
I'm not with the police. Then who are you with? And why are you allowed to know about what's going on, which you clearly do, and live, while poor Katie ends up chloroformed? Aaron sighed. Information is like a contagion. It spreads. Your employers do an admirable job controlling that, but they aren't the only players in the game. As much as they might want to eliminate the knowledge and use of magic completely, not every vector can be silenced as quietly as a young stewardess. The world is vast, Sally Brooks, and not even the Vatican can see the entire picture. Leaving a few euros on the table, Aaron got up, tucking his umbrella and newspaper under one arm. Sal caught his elbow. I'm going to tell my team about this conversation. Of course you will, he said. You already promised the priest you would. Don't worry about me. As it happens, my superiors and yours are on very close terms. Sal could have let it go at that, but she had one last question. The collapsed bookshop, was that you? Aaron smiled. And then Sal wasn't holding his elbow anymore. His eyes grew in her field of vision until all Sal could see was white. A white so bright it burned. She felt a rush of air and the brush of feathers against her skin. By the time she managed to blink past the afterimages left on her retinas, Aaron was gone. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down, no filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts. Bookburners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El-Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith and additional editing by Corey Barton and Brooks Ewald. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Bookburners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.